0: Amen, thank you. While you are being seated, if you would find your place with me and your copy of God's Word in Mark chapter number 4. Mark chapter 4 is where we are. So if you're following along in an old-fashioned book, Mark 4. If you are doing it on your technology and device, Mark chapter 4. I'd like to know, how many of you have a book? Hold it up. Oh, look at that. Now, how many of you have a device? Hold it up. Uh Uh-huh. We see who the techies are, don't we? All right. Good. Good. Yeah, some of you have both. That's probably what... (laughs) Okay, here we go. Uh, You know, we have been preaching through Mark's gospel for the past... Several weeks, and today we find ourselves in Mark chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading in verse 35. And for those of you who are keeping score, you immediately notice something. What do you notice? I skipped. I really did. And it's not because there's nothing in there. There is a lot. As a matter of fact, the Lord has already put together a message for me out of those last two kingdom parables in Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 26 through 34. But you know, sometimes you just feel like you've been in parables for a while, you need to move. So I want to really keep it moving and not bog us down. So, Lord willing, there will be a time when I go back and fill in that blank. But today I want us to get to this story uh, found in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. So here we go. Beginning in verse number 35, the Bible says, as Mark records his gospel, On that day when evening came, he, that is Jesus, said to them, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? How is it that you, and you could insert this word still, have no faith. They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? We'll speak to you on this subject for a little while this morning. Totally blown away. And there is a pun intended here because these guys were almost blown away in two senses. They were almost blown away because of the storm that they encountered while traversing the Sea of Galilee, but then they were totally blown away spiritually as they encountered the power of the one who was with them asleep in the rear of the boat. Totally blown away. Have you ever been just blown away physically or spiritually? I mean, we can all relate to what Mark is saying here about a fierce gale. We're talking about hurricane-force winds. And if you were around here in October of 2018, you know what that's like. But even more importantly, have you ever just had your mind totally blown because of something that God did? that was totally outside the realm of what you expected, something you had never contemplated, that comes almost from left field and takes you so off guard that you have no pattern you have no standard by which to measure it and it just totally blows your mind well that's what we're talking about in this storm totally blown away notice something here first I think the, the stage needs to be set a little bit before we delve into it I think we need to see that these disciples were going somewhere And they weren't going somewhere just because they had a strange desire to go. They were going somewhere because the Master had asked them to go. So here they were on a journey. And more specifically, they didn't just strike out on their own. They were on the journey with Jesus. Now boy, if that's not a picture of life, I don't know what is. Because life for a believer is just that. It is a journey with the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's start right there and look at several things that this text has to say to us today. First thing I think it points out is that on the journey with Jesus, your destination is certain. It's certain. You can say it like this. On the journey with Jesus, your destination is guaranteed. Now notice what it is that the Bible says here. Jesus said to them and. Verse number 35, let us go over to the other side. Now friends, that ought to give us a tremendous amount of faith right there. He said, let us go over to the other side. Now he did not say, let us get in this boat and the first time we encounter danger we're going to sink and die in the middle of the lake. That's not what he said. He said, let us go to the other side. So the first thing those boys should have picked up was that Jesus said, "We're going to the other side. We're not going to go halfway and fall apart. We're not going to go halfway and fizzle out because it gets so tough. We'd rather just turn around and go back to where we were. We are going somewhere, and we are going to get there. Let us go to the other side." Now, believer, let me say to you, here's one of the wonderful truths of 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 of, of Christianity. If you are on the journey with Jesus, just mark it down. Your destination is certain. And I hear so many folk today talk about this when you ask them about where they're going. And ultimately, you know, we're talking about the other side, uh, the sweet by and by. We're talking about heaven. And so many people have this mentality. When you ask them, hey, do you know for certain you have eternal life and that you'll go to heaven when you die? Well, I hope so. Well, I think so. Well, there's a good chance. Well, the Bible doesn't give any credence to that type of language at all. As a matter of fact, John wrote a book in the end of the Bible, and he says, My little children, I have written these things unto you that you may think, hope, know, that you may know that you have eternal life. So here's some good news. If you've been born again... There's not one thing you can do to sink this ship before you get to the other side. Hey, you are going to get there. That's all there is to it. Your destiny is certain. It has very little to do with you and it has everything to do with Him. He is going to get you there if you are on this journey with Jesus. But let's not talk about the sweet by and by. Let's talk about the here and now. Because do you know that There is a destination for you in this life. Oh, hear me. God didn't just save you for you to stay where you are. God didn't save you for you to stay like you are. This road of salvation is very much a journey. Now, when he told them, let's go to the other side, that meant this is where we are, and there is a point B out there, and that's where we're going. So let me ask you a question. Uh, 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 Where are you going? And most folk today have absolutely no clue. And to some extent, that's okay. But let's talk about this for a little while. Let's talk about our destination in this life. Where are you going? Several things this text teaches us about our destination. And the first thing it teaches us is It is divinely identified. I mean, who was it that determined where they were going? It wasn't them. It was the Lord Jesus. He said, let us go over to the other side. So wherever it is that you are going in this life, it's not just left up to the whims of your own desires and wants. God already has marked out for you since before the foundation of the earth, of the world, a divine destination. He has a purpose for your life. He has plans for your life. And get this. He has a preferred future marked out for you. He has a future for you that is better than what you could decide for yourself if you had a blank check and could write, where you wanted to go I promise you what he has for you his preferred future is better than anything that you could dream up for yourselves do you believe that today or do you think that you're just here and fate is just kind of working itself out and circumstances are beating your brains out or do you believe that there is a divine plan in motion and God has already divinely identified where it is that He wants you in this life. Now, there are some things that we know that are general for all of us. Because before you can get to point B, you've got to be at point A. Am I right? So let me ask you today, where is your point B in this life? What is it that God has marked out for you as your station in the kingdom of God? What is and where is your point B and before we can even talk about point B I think we've got to talk about point A what is point A well point A is salvation itself if you have never been born again then there's no sense in talking about point B because you're not even at point A you're not even in the starting blocks You see, the starting block for this divine journey and to arrive at your divine destination, you've got to be in the starting blocks and you must be born again. If you've never been born again, then make no mistake about it, you are not on the journey with Jesus. You're just out there on that that lake just floating around aimlessly hoping that the tide or the wind or the waves takes you somewhere that's good and desirable. But I'm telling you, when you're... One of his, when you've been born again, not only do you have a point A, but there is a point B that he has marked out for you. Now watch this. You may not know where your point B is. Sometimes God is a little slow to reveal the point B. You know why? Because here's why. If God were to show you today just what he had planned for you, it'd scare you to death you probably wouldn't even come back to church next week because you'd be scared. I mean, if God unfolded it all, we're not strong enough to handle it today. You remember that old movie? You can't handle the truth. And it's probably that way for a lot of us today. The plans that He has made for us would so blow your mind until it would scare you to death. But here's what's important. It may not be so important that you understand where your point B is, But it is important to know that there is a point B and that you are on the journey with Christ. And I promise you, if you are on the journey, He's taking you in the direction and towards your divine destination and you will get there. And it may be that on this journey, He just gives more and more and more light. It's kind of like when you get in your car at night and when you turn turn your headlights on. You don't even have to turn them on anymore. These cars are so smart, they know when it's dark. And you get in it and turn it on and the headlights come on. And let's say we're in Bonifay, Florida and we want to go to Dothan, Alabama. And we get in our car and we turn our headlights or our switch on and the lights come up. Can you see Dothan, Alabama in the beam of your headlights? Why not? They don't shine that far, do they? But what do you do? Do you get in your car and say, well, I can't see Dothan out there. So you turn the car off and go back in the house? No, it's not what you do. What happens? As you begin to drive towards Dothan, guess what? Eventually, that city limit sign for Dothan comes into view in the beam of your headlights. And do you see, that's the way your point B is spiritually. You may not know, but here's what you know. You do know that God has saved you, and He saved you for a purpose. You know that He has called you to be growing in your faith to become more and more like Him and through the process of sanctification you're walking. And as you begin walking on this journey with Jesus, more and more light begins to shine. And before long, you begin to see where it is that God's been leading you all along. Where is your point B? And are you on your journey with Jesus today, even if you don't know where where your point B is? Hey, let me tell you something. Not only would it blow your mind if you knew today, but let's fast forward 30 years. It'll blow your mind looking back and see where you've come from. I look back and see where we have come from and where we have been, and I just absolutely sometimes can't take it in. And it's all because you started a journey with Jesus. And he's taking you somewhere, and listen, you're going to get there. So what can we say about our point B, about our divine destination? Number one, it's divinely identified. Man, I hope you seek God. I hope you're serious about this journey so you can know where your point B is. Jesus said, let us go to the other side. Notice what else. If you're going to get your, to your divine destination, not only is it divinely identified, it's not just something that we want to do, it's marked out by Him for us. But they would have never gotten there if they had not have separated themselves from the crowd. Notice what verse number 35 says, or 36. Jesus says, let us go to the other side. There's the destination. Look at verse 36. Leaving the crowd. They separated themselves from the crowd. Now, can I ask you a question? How important is the crowd to you? You know, for some folk, that's what it's all about. They want to fit in the crowd. They want to be a part of the crowd. They want to be where the crowd is. Do You know, it's, we don't escape that just when we're born again. We still have this herd mentality, do we not? I mean, there are some folk that they don't want to go to a church unless it's got 2,000 members. They want to be a part of a big crowd. There's something about a crowd that gives us Security. But if you're going to get to where you're going, hear me, you got to break from the crowd. Now sometimes that crowd might be unhealthy spiritually. And hear me, you can't hang out with a bunch of folk who are always pulling you away from your point B and expect to get there in a timely fashion. Here's, here's a reality. You know, if you expect to have God's, divine blessings on your life you got to be moving in the direction that he wants you to go you can't be out here in Never Neverland and expect to experience the fullness of God's blessings this morning in Sunday school there's a verse that says for even if we are unfaithful he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself here's the trick to living a blessed life you know what that means Hey, God's faithfulness is not measured by me. Most folk, here's the way they interpret that. God has been faithful to me even though I've been unfaithful. That's not the standard for measuring God's faithfulness. God measures his faithfulness to himself. He cannot deny himself. And here it is. God has saved us. He's got a point B marked out. We're on this journey If you want to experience the blessings of God, then you've got to position yourself between God and the destination He has marked out for you. And when you do that, you are in the crosshairs of divine blessing. And then, you see, you are not asking God to bless what you're doing. You are doing what God's blessing. Because He cannot deny Himself. But can I be honest with you? Too many times we find ourselves wandering around way out here in left field, wondering why God's not blessing us. God cannot deny himself. We're on this journey headed to point B. You're in the crosshairs of God's scope. And you can expect to experience the blessings of God. Look at here. How did these boys get to that destination? They had to separate themselves from the crowd. Well, notice number next. Not only is that point B, our divine destination, divinely identified, not only did they separate themselves from the crowd, but verse 36 tells us they accepted him on his terms. Now check this out. This has always bothered me because it looks like it just don't fit in the verse. Mark, why'd you include this? Look with me. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat. Now here's here's what bothers me just as he was. You know, we got an old song that we used to sing all the time in church for invitation, and we'd we, we sing 400 verses of it until somebody came, by golly. <laughs> <laughs> just as I am. But you know, it's really not about just as I am. It's about just as he is. We don't you know, uh, this is not a cafeteria plan where we pick and choose what we like about Jesus and accept that and leave the rest off. Uh, you need to take all of him just as he is or you take nothing. So here's what, I think, here's what I think they're saying here. I think Mark's telling us that they accept him on his terms. Now that raises a question, what could have been his terms? Why did Mark feel it necessary to put that little tidbit of information in there that they accepted him or they took him along just as he was? Well, here it is. I want you to see this. Notice notice this. Look at what Mark says in verse number number 35. Mark makes it a point to say, On that day. So all this is happening on the same day that Mark is talking about here. What was that day? Well, let me just back up a little bit with you and and notice chapter number 3. Notice what all has went on on this very day. Starting in verse number 20. The Bible says that he came home and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that he couldn't even eat. He couldn't even eat. So he'd been teaching crowds already that day and they were crowding in on him and demanding so much of his time that he couldn't even stop and get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Now notice what happens next. After that, the scribes began to to heckle him as they were always doing and they began to say that he was was inhabited by a demon and he was casting out demons by the power of Satan. So he has a very intense confrontation with the religious leaders and it was so tense that you can almost cut the tension with a knife in that passage. Not only did he have a confrontation with the religious leaders, but next thing, his mama and his brothers and sisters come to Baker Act because they think he's lost his mind. So here's just a typical day for him. And then after that, he retreats again and begins to teach in parables, and his boneheaded disciples doesn't get it, and he says, how can y'all not understand this? So he's been doing this all day long, and now he's standing on the seashore, and he wants to go to the other side. And he says, boys... Bring the boats and let's go to the other side. But here was the deal. Those guys were seasoned fishermen. And you know, they probably didn't let anybody ride free. If you got on that boat, there was something for you to do. Because hear me, that boat didn't have two 300 horsepower mercuries hanging out the back of it. You know what I'm saying? If it was going to get there and it was calm, that means we got to have all oars in the water. So that's fine. We'll go over there, but everybody's going to work. Well, Jesus is exhausted by now. So I imagine what's not in the story is Jesus is just absolutely frazzled. Can I say to you that nothing will wear you out like ministry? Hear me. I know what work is. You know, I still work today. I mean, I'll be on a piece of heavy equipment in the morning doing something and, you know, what I start out to do won't be what I finish doing because there will be so many problems that arise. You know what I'm saying? I know what hard work is. But can I say to you, I, man, I have done some hard I have been a roofer in August on the coast of Mississippi. I know what it is to be tired. But I'm here to tell you that nothing will zap you like ministry. Nothing. The reason being is because every part of the human constituency is involved in ministry. When you are ministering you are involved and you're giving out physically. You're giving out mentally. You're giving out emotionally. And you're giving it out spiritually. And when you're done, you're like a limp dish rag. So I can imagine Jesus that day, he was 100% man and 100% God. And can I say to you, the man side of Jesus, his honey was dragging that day. And he stood on that seashore and he said, Boys, we gotta go, but I got bad news for y'all. I can't paddle today. Y'all gonna have to get us there. Mark says, they accepted him. They took him along just as he was. They wasn't expecting Jesus to be any help at all. He was zapped. And can I say to you? I know a lot of people that put conditions on God. God, I'll do this if you'll do that. Can I say that's not going to get you very far down the road to your divine destination. You accept him as he is. No expectations. You do it simply because he said do it. So they took him just as he was. Well, if you're going to get to your divine destination, let's get back to our source here. Understand, it's divinely identified. You've got to separate yourself from the crowd. You accept him on his terms, and then look, at, look what's next. It's almost like all of this. You can tell this is an eyewitness account. He's not making this up. He's getting it straight from Peter. And notice what he says in verse number 36. And, and it's just kind of stuck out there, and you wonder, what, how does this matter? It says, and other boats were with him. So you know it's an eyewitness account. So here's Peter and James and John's boat. Jesus is in it and the rest of the disciples. And there are other boats with him. What is he telling us? Here's what he's saying. When you are on the journey with Jesus and when you know where you're going, just mark it down. Other people will always follow. They'll always follow. Can I say to you today that people are like a sheep without a shepherd? just kind of wandering around. And there is something about somebody who has been born again. They realize that life is just not left up to me to live and do whatever I want to do and ask God to bless it, but it's a journey of me getting from point A to point B. And there's something about people who know that they know that they've been saved and they know that they know that God is moving them toward a destination, they know where they're going, those type of people will always attract fellowship. There's just something about it. And here they were with a whole lot of other people following, following them. Can I say to you that if you've been born again and you know where you're going, you are a leader. So... The question becomes, who's following me today? Is anybody following me? And if nobody's following you, it's probably because nobody has certainty to know that you know where you're going. You ever been like that? You ever been in in your car and you were not in your home turf? And somebody said, well, just follow me. And you start following them and they start driving around turning corners and taking blocks and going around in circles, and you begin to ask yourself, do they really know where they're going? (laughs) And should I not just put this in Google Maps and let my GPS take me there? Because obviously they don't know how to get there. Hey man, if, if that's the image that we are projecting today as believers, that we really don't know where we're going, that there's no sense of destination in my life, that there's no goal, and there's no sense of urgency for me to get there, guess what? nobody's going to follow me. John Maxwell says, He that thinks he leads and no one follows, only taketh a walk. There's a lot of folk today just taking a walk, and it might be, because we're not convinced ourselves of where we're going. Or do you know some people like this? Oh, you ask them, Yeah, they know they've been saved. They know where they're going, but they go as hard as they can this way for two or three weeks, and then they turn around and they go as hard as they can this way for two or three weeks all over the place. Nobody's going to follow that. So here's the deal. If you're going to get there, <laughs> you got to know where you're going. That's divinely identified for you. you got to separate yourself from the crowd. Take him on his terms. And then others will always follow. Well, these boys were blown away. They were blown away because on the journey with Jesus your destination is certain. Number two, they were blown away because on the journey with Jesus your problems are simply platforms from which He can display His sovereignty. Now look, I just said a mouthful right there. Let me slow it down and run it by you again with a limp. Maybe you'll catch it. (laughs) On the journey with Jesus, your problems are simply platforms from which he can display his sovereignty. Get this. There was no other way for them to have their mind blown. There was no other way for them to get to their divine destination except to pass through the storm. Storms are necessary. We look at them as if they're a disruption in our life. And we try to avoid them at all costs. We do, and I understand that. Nobody likes storms, but can I say to you that the storm that you're in today or the storm that you're headed for tomorrow, it's a necessary part of getting you to arrive at your divine destination. Now look here. We're not talking about just the other side of the lake If those old boys hadn't been in that boat that night with Jesus Christ, they would have never developed into the men after death, burial, and resurrection that God intended for them. Son, how is it later that the apostle Peter can stand up and point his long bony finger into the faces of the scribes and Pharisees and says, you by wicked hands have crucified him. But God, how could He do that? I could tell you how because He had been in a storm with Jesus one night on a uh, uh, on the Sea of Galilee in a boat, and He saw Jesus do something that blew His mind, erased any question that He can do whatever He wants to do. Amen. Hey, listen, your storm is a natural part of your development as a disciple. So whatever it is, it might not be comfortable. But I promise you, it's playing a part in God making you who He wants you to be and in ultimately getting you to your divine destination. Notice what it is that the Apostle Paul said. Brother Cliff read it this morning. Paul said this. He said that I may know Him on the comfort of my couch in my living room. Is that what he said? Then why do we think we can do that? He said that I may know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. Did you hear him? I don't know what it is about it, but you're not going to profit very much spiritually in the good times of life. You just won't. But son, you let the wind start blowing and the waves start breaking over the bow of your ship, that's when you learn who God is. That I may know him in the fellowship of His suffering, and get this, and in the power of His resurrection. Oh yeah. That problem was nothing more than an opportunity. That storm was nothing more than a platform from which Jesus could display exactly who He is. So check out this this scenario. What were there? Where... Well, there was wind and waves. Look what verse number 37 says. There arose a fierce gale. Again, we're talking hurricane-force winds. Now, they're in a little wooden sailing ship. There was wind and waves. The waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already being filled with water. So here they are. This storm comes up. The Bible says it comes up suddenly. came out of nowhere. These were seasoned sailors. And it took them by surprise. There was no way to predict it. It came up all of a sudden. It was severe. It was severe to the point that the wind had probably ripped the sails off of their ship. It was listing bad to one side. Waves were breaking over the sidewalls. They were probably about knee deep in water. Hey, that's a pretty serious situation, is it not? Wind and waves. So what do they do? Well, they get a little bit peeved at Jesus. Notice what they do. They they went and they they woke him up. So give them kudos for that at least. Hey, when you got a problem, wake up the man who can take care of the problem. How long do you reckon they fought the waves and the wind before they got the bright idea of waking Jesus up? But when they woke Jesus up, and see how tired he was? I mean, the bottom was falling out from under that boat. Have you ever been a boat, been in a boat in ten or twelve foot seas? And that baby's on the crest one minute, and that wave just disappears out from under it, and it goes wha-pah! And the brain inside your head just wobbles because it hits so hard. That's what was going on here. How long you reckon they fought that storm on their own before they ever went to Jesus? How long do you fight yours before you ever resort to waking him up? And when they woke him up, but notice what they did. They didn't wake him up in faith. They woke him up out of fear. And they woke him up out of frustration. Because here's what they expected. You see, they were already knee-deep in uh, in in water and in the boat. It was a bad situation. There was 12 of them on board, and I bet every one of them was doing something. Probably six of them had oars in their hands. The other six were bailing water out of the boat, and here's Jesus back here asleep. It don't take long. You ever been working frantically like that, and your co-worker was taking a nap? (laughs) You get pretty pretty, pretty upset with them, don't you? And that's where they were. Here's what they expected. They expected Jesus to get up and help them paddle, or get up and help him bail the water out of the boat. Pretty low expectations for the one who was 100% man and 100% God, was it not? Pretty low expectations. So they go and wake him up, and Jesus does what they would have never dreamed. And that's exactly what he does in your life. Now, unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more, all that you're able to ask or even think, Hey, you'd be well not to dictate to Jesus what you want him to do, huh? Just inform him what the problem is. He knows what to do. You see, if he would have done what, what, what they wanted him to do, he'd have probably, he'd probably just been a, a baler <laughs> or a rower. But they wake him up, he assesses the situation, and he knows what to do. Now watch me. There's no place in Scripture where the humanity of Jesus and the deity of Jesus are so closely meshed than in this passage. On one hand, in his humanity, he is tired. He's worn to a frazzle. He is asleep on the seat cushion that the helmsman sits when he drives the boat. He's asleep on it in the middle of Hurricane Michael. He wakes up and he does something. Humanity and deity. Deity. Smack dab together in this story. Notice what the Bible says. They woke him up. He got up and he spoke the word. Look what he said. Here's what he says. He said, hush, be still. Now son, I don't know about you, but that gives me the Holy Spirit goosebumps. Here the Son of God, asleep in a fishing boat, on the Sea of Galilee in the middle of a hurricane, wakes up, gets his bearings, and says, Hush, be still. Now I've always wondered, why did he have to speak? The wind can't hear him. The waves can't hear him. That's an inanimate entity, is it not? Why does God speak at all? And here's why he speaks. He speaks so that you and I can know the intentions of his heart. He didn't have to say anything. He could have got up and just thought in his mind, Stop it. And son, I'm telling you, the very next nanosecond, you'd have heard crickets chirping. That's who we're dealing with. All he's got to do is think the thought, and it's immediately done. But he got up, and for the benefit of them and for the benefit of us, He spoke the word, and when he speaks the word, his will is immediately done. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine? The hair on your head is parted like this from the wind. You look like the hood ornament on a 67 Buick, you know? I mean, you're like this. (laughs) He gets up and says, hush, be still. And the next thing you feel is your hair fall back down on your neck. My gosh, how does that happen? Well, let me hasten on to my next point, and I think we'll explain how. On the journey with Jesus, your problems are simply platforms from which he can display his sovereignty. If there was never a storm, they would have never known that he's the master of the wind. You hear me? Your problems are the same way you weren't going through what you're going through today, you wouldn't know near as much about God as you do. Number next, on the journey with Jesus, we should be regularly shocked. Shocked. Blown away. Hey, when was the last time you had your mind blown by the immensity of Jesus Christ? And can I say, if he hadn't got in your business and blew your mind lately, probably because you're trying to experience it on the couch. <laughs> Maybe you're off out there in left field instead of on a straight line journey between point A and point B. Son, when you're, when you're on that journey, you'll get your mind blown regularly. I wish I had the time to tell you how God's blown my mind recently. But if I get started, we'll be here till way after lunch. On the journey with Jesus... We should regularly be shocked. Now there's two things in here I think that should give us a hint why we should be shocked. Number one, we should be shocked because of our own incompetency. (laughs) Our own incompetency. Why do you think those boys were afraid? Look look what the Bible says. The Bible says he spoke to the wind. It died down, became perfectly calm. The, the, The lake went from... Eight-foot seas, to you could fly fish on it. It's glass. He said to them, Why are you afraid? How is it that you have no faith? And look now, they became very much afraid. They are more afraid now of him than they were of the storm. Who is this that we've got in our boat? I mean, you can understand somebody speaking to a demon and him obeying, right? I mean, Dane Caldwell has spoken to demons... And they responded. That's no big deal. A demon is a living being. He can respond. But the wind, that's inanimate. There was nothing that they could do to explain this. Here he is speaking to the wind. Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And here they are very much afraid. You know why they're afraid? They're afraid because they realize how incompetent they are. (laughs) Popular theology today, hear me, makes Jesus to be your equal. He's your chummy, chummy, good buddy. But I want to tell you something He is the God of all glory. He is omnipotent, He is omnipresent. He is omniscient. He is the creator God of everything that there is. And now they're beginning to realize how incompetent they are. They couldn't even have enough faith in him to know that he can handle this. Hey, if if you think you're doing pretty good in, in faith, can I say it's because you're comparing yourself to the wrong standard. You compare yourself to me, or you compare yourself to somebody who's less than you, and we always do. We normally compare ourselves to somebody who's lower than we are, inferior to not where we are in faith, it makes us feel good about how far along we are. But I'm telling you, if you think you're doing pretty good, it's because you ain't comparing yourself to the Lord. You compare yourself to Him and you realize that you are such a weenie (laughs) that you don't even deserve a hiccup, let alone anything else. So they were shocked because of their... Incompa- because of their incompetence, incompetency. But number two, they were shot because of his incomprehensibility. That's a big word. Look, Will wrote it on the board for you. Incomprehensibility. They are understanding that this fisher or this carpenter from Nazareth. And isn't it amazing? There were seasoned fishermen in that boat, and they were scared to death. And there's a carpenter in there and he's at perfect peace sleeping on the cushion. And they begin to understand that this carpenter is a little bit more than just a carpenter from Nazareth. He is God in the flesh. He gets up and he speaks to the wind that he created and it immediately obeys. He gets up and he mutters a word to the waves and they go completely flat. He is totally incomprehensible you know what that means that means that no matter how long I live on this life in this life I will never completely have God figured out he's bigger than I am he's bigger than you are and the basis of worship the basis of worship is wonder you know what wonder does it makes your jaw drop open And those old boys that day had their bottom jaw on the bottom floor of that boat saying, my God in heaven, who is this? So let me ask you today, where are you on this journey? Because here's the reality. You're either in a storm today, you're just coming out of one, or you're headed for one. And that storm is a necessary part of you getting from point A to point B. Let me ask you, are you profiting spiritually from the hard times in life? And if not, friend, the reason you're not is because you're out in the left field. You see, a storm without Jesus is just a storm. But a storm with Him is simply a platform from which He can display His power in your life. In Jesus' name. Get a compass heading on your point B and come dead in line with it from where you are today and you'll be amazed what God does in your life. Would you stand with me please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of the fact that there's not one thing that can keep us from arriving at our divine.